So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter number five is where we are. John chapter five this morning and uh, talking about changed by God's grace, to be changed by God's grace and uh, excited about the text this morning. Uh, just, just, just a question that I want to throw out there as we, uh, as we start this morning, and that's this, uh, a sincere question that I pray that you would really chew on this morning. And, and, and the question is this, have you been changed by God's grace? Uh, have you been changed by God's grace? Uh, a moment in your life when you could say, hey, you know what? I, I, I know that I'm born again, man. He's changed me. Uh, I'm, I'm in this process today called sanctification to become more like Jesus Christ. So I'm not, I'm not, posi- I'm not uh, practically already been made perfect, but positionally I am. But practically I'm in this work. In other words, uh, uh, God's doing a work on the inside of me. He's changing me. Uh, uh, making me more like Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I just want to ask the question this morning, have you been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God Almighty? You know, when you're talking about salvation, salvation is not a result, by the way, of our changing ourselves, but it's, it's, it's what he does on the inside. And in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and in verse number 13, over in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 13, when we get saved, for by one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, we were all baptized into one body. You know what that tells me? I don't have to look for a separate baptism. When I got saved, I got all of the Holy Spirit of God came dwelling within my heart. The Bible says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence. And the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians in chapter number five and in verse number 17, the Bible says, you're a new creation. Uh, there's, a, there's a new creature. Your nature has been changed. The old things have passed away and behold, all things are being made new. And so, and so my nature changed. And so how does he change us? It's not just changing our circumstances. It's not just changing uh, uh, what we do, the things we say, but it's changing that comes from the inside out. In other words, it's not just uniformity, but it's unity of the Holy Spirit of God working within our hearts such that we desire the things of God. And so really a question to ask is this, do you desire the things of God? Do you desire to be obedient to God's word? Do you desire to worship the King of Kings? Do I have a desire to love my neighbor? Do I have a desire to love my enemies, to pray for those who persecute me? Do I have a desire to be all that God wants me to be? And if I do, it's God who wills that within me because when I got saved, the Holy Spirit of God started a work and he who began the good work in the beginning is faithful to complete the work. He's bringing it to completion. So I'm in this process of change and I'm grateful to God today to know that I've been changed. And so this morning, here's another question to ask. Here's another question to ask. Not just whether or not I've been saved, but anybody here that would say, I really need a change in my life. I mean, there's some things in my life I really need to change. Maybe it's a personal change. Maybe it's a, 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 my marriage is falling apart. I need some change to happen in this world, in my family, in my finances. Maybe it's in my job. I, I just need change today, God. I need you to work. Aren't you thankful 
when you're talking about Jesus Christ. He's in life-changing business. This morning, we're uh, 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 in the seventh. We, 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 this is the seventh of seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been there for several weeks now, <clears throat> seven to be exact. Uh, uh, we've been there for seven weeks talking about the miracles recorded in the Gospel of John and the reason why he records them. It's not just because, wow, these were pretty cool events that happened when Jesus were here, but rather John says over in John chapter 20 and in verse number 30 and 31, I've written these things so that you might know that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by knowing you would believe in him and have life in his name. I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. He's God in the flesh. And so he records these things. So really when you're looking at these signs or these miracles, in other words, when you're talking about these signs, these signs that he does are basically miracles with a message, not just recording, just simply watch what he did, but watch what he did. And it attests to what he says and who he says he is. In other words, when you're looking at these signs or miracles that are recorded in Scripture, ask yourself the question in all of them. Who do you know? Who do you know that can turn water into wine? Who do you know that when there's a little boy on his deathbed can speak a word from a distance and the boy get healed in the moment that he speaks the word? Who do you know like that? Who can do that? Who, who, can, who can go and walk on water? Who, who, can take, who can take two fish and a few loaves of bread and feed thousands of people? Who can do that? Who can take a man that was blind, born blind, and make his eyes to see? Who can do that? God. God. And, G, and, and what John is saying is, listen, Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And this morning we have the seventh of the seven miracles that are recorded. And, uh, and I'm just talking today about uh, uh, the change, being changed by God's amazing grace. Being changed by God's amazing grace. John chapter number five, beginning in verse number one. And follow along with me. The Bible says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, and in your Bible, by, by chance, you may have it bracketed uh, because these next uh, verse and a half here, three and a half through the end of verse four, is not included in the, in, in the earliest of manuscripts, but we're gonna continue its reading. So the Bible says, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had uh, been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well, and he picked up his pallet and he began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. 
But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man was, who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And so it goes on from there. In fact, when you're talking about this occasion and what's taking place, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing this great work. And and Jesus Christ lived his life on his own timetable. Jesus Christ was very intentional with what he did, where he did, when he did. It wasn't haphazard. It didn't just so happen to be the Sabbath day. There didn't just so happened to be a feast of the Jews where they'd have all of the Jewish leaders gathering in one place. It was very intentional by the Lord Jesus Christ so that he could begin teaching and sharing and telling the Jewish leaders that, listen, I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the one who was to come. I am. And so, and so there was reason for the event and why it was happening, where it was happening, and when it was happening. But when you're talking about first the location, and we're going to look at, basically look at these verses of Scripture, and, and, and we're going to take them and, and, and look at different scenes as they unfold. And just at the end of the day, ultimately, it's a man that's been changed by God's grace. But, but if, you, if you continue reading, and I would encourage you to continue reading, because beginning in verse number 18 till the end of the chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ has opportunity to engage, which is the whole purpose for the miracle, the whole purpose for the sign was so that it was a miracle with a message. And the message was, listen, I am God. And he's teaching teaching, uh, uh, and in fact, one of the greatest, what we would call a Christological passages recorded in scripture happens with the remainder of this chapter. So, so I would encourage you to go and read through there. But first of all, when you're talking about the location of the event, the location of the event, there was a sheep gate. The Bible says there was a sheep gate. And so when you're looking at Jerusalem, again, the sheep gate would be uh, uh, also called the, the, the gate of sacrifice, the gate of sacrifice. And it was this sheep gate around Jerusalem where, where the farmers would bring in to market uh, their little lambs. And many, many of those little lambs would be sacrificed. And it's as if to say, it's just interesting, again, the location that this event unfolds, the location. It's as if to say, Jesus Christ is saying, I am the lamb. In fact, it had already been proclaimed. It had already been said of him. In John chapter number one, and in verse number 29, John the Baptist, if you remember, John the Baptist was out baptizing, and he looked up, and there was Jesus Christ, and he said, hey, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it's already been said of him. And here he is in this story where he's confronting the Jewish religious establishment. And he's as if he's saying, hey, the Lamb of God is entering into the scene. And he goes into the pool of Bethesda. Interesting, when you're talking about the pool of Bethesda, because Bethesda means the house of mercy, the house of mercy. And isn't it interesting that the gate of sacrifice would be right next to, again, the house of mercy. 
And that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ, man, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice so that his mercy is available to you and to me. And so when you're looking at this story, again, the first four verses have everything to do with the location, the tradition of the day. The tradition of the day would say this, anyone with infirmities, the tradition of the day would say, anybody with infirmities, you need to go down there to the to the, to the pool of Bethesda. And if they were from the country, they'd say the pool of Bethesda. You ever heard somebody say that? It's like, where'd you get that R from? But anyways, the pool of Bethesda, go down there. There was a tradition. And so you go down there. And, and, so, and so in fact, when you're talking about what's happening, uh, uh, they, they would say, hey, not only tradition, but there's a legend. There's a legend that the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> whenever that water stirred up, and we know that periodically, we know for a fact that periodically there was a stirring of the waters. Now again, when you're looking at this passage of scripture, be careful because a lot of times you'll include that verse number three and a half through the end of cha- uh, verse number four and say, well, man, it was an angel of God. must have been that his healing was done through that. We, we're not exactly sure exactly how that worked. We do know that there was a stirring of the waters. Some would say it was spring fed. In fact, uh, history would tell us that there was a redness to the water, meaning that perhaps it was some minerals in the water and they would say, hey, this is kind of a healing effect that takes place. We're not sure about all those things, but legend said, hey, whoever's first in the pool is gonna get healed over there. And so they would gather around there. And, and some people would say, when they're looking at this passage of scripture and say, well, surely, surely, there's truth to the healing that took place from the pool. To which I would say, hey, listen, this dude was there uh, and, and, and he was one of the multitude. He was one of the multitude. And he was there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for 38 years, and he experienced nothing. And he was only one of the multitude that gathered day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and experienced nothing. Jesus Christ, I believe, was coming to address a bigger picture than just this man and just this gathering with simply saying, hey, listen, the religious gatherings that you're a part of right now are empty, filled with tradition, hoping in hope, missing out on the point. And this morning, I believe that there are people that are gathering cold, dead religious places where you could write Ichabod over the doors. And I'm not talking about any specific religion. I'm just saying, if you're abandoning God's word, if you're abandoning the proclamation of God's word, and not only abandoning the proclamation of God's word, but standing in opposition to God's word and gathering and calling yourself a church, you're fooling yourself. There's a lot of places where people are gathering this morning and experiencing Zilch. You say, do you really believe that? Can I tell you something so interesting? Do you know that last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning in the second service, and it just so happened to be the timing of everything that's unfolding right now, last Sunday morning after the second service, I was approached by a lady in tears, and her story was this. I was born into this religion. I've been in church now for over 40 years in a different religion, and I've never experienced God, but this morning, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me. I'm grateful to God. God, help us. I want to experience God. The location, when you're talking about the location, this is where you belong. This is your kind of people. And how many times do we struggle with those things? How many times do we struggle with that? This is my family church. 
hey, you may be visiting here and be in a church where you feel like, man, it's as cold as, it's as dead, it's as dead as dead. But that's my family church. Go find you a church where the Spirit of God is moving. The desperation we see the location, he's gathering around, which by the way, you know what's interesting is he's gathering around with people of his kind, with people of his kind, and when you're looking at the bigger picture and the location, how many times do people gather with people of their kind and just feel like this is just the way it is? Well, man, you may be here this morning, you've been gathering with your kind of people for a long time, but you're in desperate need of a touch and desperate need of a change, and Jesus Christ can change you. Verse number five. It's a picture of desperation. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. He'd been ill for 38 years. Could you imagine being sick for 38 years? In fact, if you read on, if you read on in the text, in verse number 14, the Bible says that Jesus said to him, hey, go and quit your sinning. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, the reason why you've been here for 38 years, listen, this is an important point. The reason why you've been in this place and been sick for 38 years is because you've sinned against God. Now, what we have to be careful of is not, not all sin, not all sickness is a result of personal sin. Not all sickness is a result of personal sin. But in this man's situation, been there for 38 years because of personal sin. And I would encourage you, you know, sometimes you hear people, uh, we don't know his age, we don't know what was going on in his life. There's a lot of things we don't know about in this story. But I can't help but think perhaps he was a younger teenager and, and, and he said, man, this is my life. I'm gonna live it how I wanna live it. And he made his own decisions. And as a result, he suffered consequences for 38 years. But not all, again, not all sin. Not all, not, not all sickness is a, is a consequence of sin. Uh, in, fact, in fact, we just, we just uh, talked about the blind man a couple weeks ago. Uh, the blind man, who sinned? Remember when they asked the question? They asked Jesus Christ the question about the blind man. They said, who sinned? Jesus said, hey, this isn't a result of sin. And so, and so some sicknesses aren't a result of sin. But, but you know what's interesting is when you're talking about Ultimately, 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 sickness is the consequence of sin. When Jesus Christ, when when, when he spoke this world into existence, when he spoke the world into existence, he created mankind, he put mankind into the Garden of Eden. Remember the story? Go back and read it in Genesis. He 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 put mankind into the Garden of Eden And it was because of his sin that now we suffer consequences of the actions. And so sin has an illustrative uh, uh, picture. It kind of presents a little bit of a picture of of what what sin looks like, sickness does. When you're talking about this story, for example, he he describes in verse number three, uh, back up in verse number three, lay a multitude of those who were sick. And and, and I tell you, when when you find yourself in the midst of sin, it it, it does have a consequence on you where you're sick. You're not seeing well, you're blind, lame, not walking straight, withered. In other words, man, I just kind of feel like I'm out in a desert. And sin has a way. Like that. This man is a picture of desperation. This man is a picture of desperation. Here he's laying there, but he can't help himself. He was in desperate need of a cure. He was in desperate need of a cure. Why? Because he was sick. 
And you know, the Bible says all in Romans 3.23. It's a picture of all of us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were born with a sinful nature. We were born sick with sin. And our sin separates us from God. And God said, man, I want intimacy with you. I want intimacy. And so, and so to, bridge, to bridge the gap caused by sin, Jesus Christ came in the cross He paid the price for you and for me so that we could have intimacy, so that we could have our sin taken care of. We need a cure, and our cure comes in Jesus Christ. But you know what else about this man in desperation when you're looking at this fella in desperate need? He'd been there for 38 years, laid out over there. It's sad when you read the story. It's very sad when you read the story because you know what he says in the story? Watch what he says. Jesus said, hey, you wanna get well? And do you see what he said in this passage of Scripture? I got nobody who cares about me. Yeah, I don't see that. Well, he says, I got nobody. And I think there's a lot of people out there in this world that would say, nobody cares. Can I ask you a serious question as a brother and sister? Do you care about people sincerely, genuinely? Or is it all self-consumed, me, myself, and I? Do you care about other people? Here's, here's, here's a question that helps us examine our hearts. When's the last time I approached anybody that I didn't know? Uh, you know what? I, I, I believe this. I believe that there are many, many hurting hearts every time we gather together in this place. I believe that. I think that there are a lot of hurting hearts every single time we gather together. In fact, I, 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 sometimes I struggle because I'm not sure. But I think of, I think of there, there are several, but I think of one in particular that, that I, I've never seen somebody hurt as much as I've seen this man hurt, and uh, and he's very regular, and uh, and he comes and he sits, and very seldom do I see anybody approach him. Why do I watch him? Because I know he hurts, and occasionally I sit down beside him, and it's not to pat me on the back because sometimes I miss out too. But do we care? Do you have eyes to see the needs around us? I don't know about you, man, but I, I want to be somebody that has a heart for other people. I want people to know, hey, I, I might not have all the answers and I might not know everything and I might not have the healing in my hands because I don't, but I want people to know that I care. This man said, man, I, I, I've been here for 38 years. I'm a permanent fixture and people just kind of look beyond me. Do we care? Jesus when you're looking at this picture, Jesus cared. And this morning, I don't know who you are or where you are, and maybe you're in the same position as this guy that really nobody really gives a whole rip about me. Well, can I tell you something? Jesus cares. And he initiates in this encounter, and he always initiates the initiation of Jesus. Look at what Jesus does, verse number six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been already uh, a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? 
and uh, the initiation, again, <clears throat> of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the Bible says this, <clears throat> he knew the condition. You know why he said that? Uh, Jesus knew intimately. That's, that's what that word means. He knew intimately everything about this guy. And this morning, sometimes we, we, we get to a place where we feel that, number one, nobody cares, and number two, nobody even knows what I'm dealing with. And can I tell you, Jesus does. He knows everything about you. He, he knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows, and he cares very much. And Jesus Christ approached, you know, the Bible says in Luke 19 and verse number 10, in Luke 19 and in verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, uh, and he's still seeking. And this morning, if you hear this morning, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that you're here for a purpose, for a reason. And I believe God brought you to this place because he cares for you. He cares for you. <clears throat> There's the initiation that's given. But then along with the initiation, Jesus gives him that invitation. He says, do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? <clears throat> and you know what's interesting? Is when you're looking at this story, you'd say, man, what a silly question. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this man's been here for 38 years. And you're going to ask him, do you wish to get well? And, and you know what the sad reality is? <clears throat> Sometimes people are just kind of resigned to the fact that this is just the way I am. This is just the way that it is. But Jesus says, oh, but this isn't the way it has to be. But I want to ask you a question. Do you wish to get well? And this really is a picture of where God's sovereignty and man's responsibility come together. I don't know what you believe about the sovereignty of God and to the extent to which God is involved in our salvation. But I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that he gives man a choice. He gives man an opportunity to say either yes or no to his amazing grace. Either yes or no. Do you want to receive a gift that I would give to you? Yes or no? It's a decision that we make along the way. In fact, in fact, I would say the whole reason why I give an invitation every Sunday is because I'm one that believes that you have a decision to make, that I have a decision to make. <clears throat> yes or no? You know, there's a lot of folks that say, I'm just fine right where I am. And again, this is a physical picture, but it's, a, but it's really a picture of spiritual. You know, why, why would somebody, yeah, the absurdity to think that this man might say, no, I just want to stay here. I, I want to miss out on life. This is life. The same thing is true about a person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to have him as Lord and Savior of your life? And there's some that would say, I'm okay. And do you know why they say, I'm okay? The Bible gives reason for that. Over in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, in verse number 19 and 20, <clears throat> the Bible says this. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men, listen, men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. And so why don't they make a good decision? Because they love sin rather than the Savior. God help me be responsive to his invitation this morning. And then in verse number eight and nine, <clears throat> Jesus Christ says, hey, get up, pick up your pallet 
and walk. And immediately the man was well, and he picked up his pallet and began to walk. And then it goes on from there. But the transformation that happens. You know what Jesus Christ says? You know, back to the beginning, he changes us from the inside out. And it's, this is a, a picture, an illustration of the change that happens. He said three things, three things. He says, I want you to, number one, I want you to get up. What, what do you mean get up? I want you to stop living the way you've been living. It's not just about adding Jesus Christ to my life as if to say, I'm just gonna add you on just for eternal security's sake. No, he says, I want you to change. Don't stay where you are. Get up, get up. Repent, repent to change. And you know what's amazing? What he calls us to do, he enables us to do. Dude couldn't have done it on his own. He couldn't have done it on his own, but he got up. He said, number one, I want you to get up. Number two, I want you to pick up your pallet. I want you to pick up your pallet. Why? Because I don't want you to make provision to go back to where you were. Well, this might work for a while, but I wanna hang on to the old. I wanna hang on to the way that it was. I wanna hang on to everything about my life. He says, I want you to pick up your pallet. You've been there for 38 years. It's too long. You wasted enough time. Pick up your pallet. Let me ask you a question. Do you make provision for the flesh so that I can go revisit it? Jesus said, pick that stuff up. Hey, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to pick it up. He said, pick up your pallet. And then he said, walk. Walk about. Experience the life that I've given you. Experience the life that you have. Now, it's different. You're different. And not only will you experience it, but it's gonna be a light for others to see that you've been changed. And this dude gets up. Three things. And this morning, I just want to encourage you. You know, the Bible says immediately, immediately, the man became well. And that's exactly what happens when we get saved. That's exactly what happens. My salvation, my salvation is not a process. Sanctification is the process that follows. But do you know that the day, the moment, the moment that I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am 100% justified. I'm 100% cleansed. I'm 100% saved. Immediately and completely And this morning, I just want to invite you, man, if you've never called on his name, to call on his name today that you might be saved. Understanding this, the Bible goes on to say this. It says, now, it was the Sabbath on that day. Do you think Jesus knew it was the Sabbath? Absolutely. He knew it was the Sabbath. He knew that they would be gathering together, as we mentioned a moment ago in the beginning of the sermon. And it was so that Jesus Christ would have the opportunity to speak. And do you know that there are others? There are others out there There was a religious establishment that said, hey, we're not really excited about the new work and the new walk and the new direction that's happened in your life. Why? Because there's a lot of people who don't care about you and about me. But I'm thankful that God cares. And this morning, I'm just encouraged and thankful for his amazing grace that brings change 
in my life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. I'm thankful for God's amazing grace. Undeserved, undeserved, unconditional. In other words, it's not because I did something good, but just because he is good and he loves me that he extends his grace to me. And this morning, I believe he's extending his grace to us. And so, just a question in closing. Have you been changed by his amazing grace today? Salvation, eternally. I'm secure. I'm a child of the king. And if you haven't, I'm inviting you to come today to call on his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want to invite you to come this morning. I'm inviting you to come. Maybe here this morning say, I am a child of the king. But I need change. God help me. God help me. And, and this morning, we're here to pray with you, to walk with you, encourage you. So today, if you're here and say, hey, can you pray for me about change that I need in my life? I want to invite you to come as well.